The scripture reading today is Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to be here and worshiping with you. Let me um, pray for us and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us out of darkness into the light of your presence through the person and work of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, you love us. And you give us your spirit, and you love us too much to leave us as we are. We need you, we depend on you, and uh, we ask for more of you now, to know you through your word. Would you minister to us as we learn of you from it? Be with us now as we worship through the word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been uh, in our summer series looking at... um, the Beatitudes, a very famous passage, many of you might have heard of that phrase, the Beatitudes, it's really a phrase of ontology, of being, right? How, how ought a Christian to be? What ought we to long for if you're getting to know God through Jesus and through the gospel and you're being transformed by it? What does, what does your longing look like? And so these attitudes are laid down for us. Jesus teaches them, this is a sermon he began, he sat... Uh, He began with people sat around him just like this, and he began teaching them. This is what he opened his mouth and said. So he's giving us what we ought to be. He's giving us what we ought to be, but it's not just that. One of the things you have to remember when you come to Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes or any kind of sort of checklist like this when you come to it in the Bible is that this is also something that Jesus himself fulfills on your behalf. In other words, there's no way that you can do these things by trying harder by trying hard to be, live a moral life, by trying hard to live religiously. It's not that message that Jesus is getting across. And so we're going to be listening with a new, maybe for some of you, a new lens today when we think about what is our relationship to doing these things that he, that he asks us to do. Um, today, I want us to think along with Jesus about our fundamental need for righteousness. Now that's a strange term. It's a religious term. It's, it's, not, um, it's not clear unless you know the Bible well or theology well. Or at least have read it a lot or read it enough to understand that righteousness is a big theme. And here, let me put it this way. The idea is that we struggle. We struggle tremendously with ourselves and the brokenness in ourselves 
and the brokenness we find in the world around us. We struggle tremendously. You remember Shakespeare's line in Macbeth? He, said, he wrote this, Out, out, brief candle, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Now, dissatisfaction. It happens for all of us. You can't go through life without it. Either dissatisfied in the way that you yourself fall down and fail, or dissatisfied by the way the others or circumstances around you that you're taking part in fall down and fail. There's dissatisfaction. There's something broken. There's, there's a fundamental need for righteousness. And so what we're going to be looking at today is what Jesus teaches about blessing. Blessing, Jesus said, is our full satisfaction. Blessing is our full satisfaction in God's renovation of brokenness. Blessing is our full satisfaction in God's renovation of brokenness in ourselves and in the world through bringing justice and setting everything right again. Through bringing justice. God's bringing justice and setting everything right again, both within and without. Okay? Blessing is our full satisfaction that's happened. So where and how does God's renovation of brokenness take place? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at God's renovation of brokenness in us. We're going to look at God's renovation of brokenness in the world. And lastly... And most importantly, we're going to look at God's renovation through Jesus. God's renovation of brokenness, both in us and in the world, through Jesus. So in us, in the world, through Jesus. First, God's renovation of brokenness in us. Why do we need God's renovation? Why do we need it? Why do you need it? We need God's renovation because it is God's just anger towards our sinfulness reversed. In our renovation, God's just anger towards our sinfulness is reversed. Um, What I want to do is just place that for you. God's just anger. Have you thought about that? Is God just at being angry with you? Is God just in his right to bring his wrath against you for your falling short? of what it means to live by his standards? Is he have just anger? The Bible's full of this. In Psalm 7, uh, verse 11 and 12, it reads this, for example, about God's just anger. It says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword and he has bent and readied his bow. So there's, a, there's an aspect of the problem and the struggles that we face where the thing that we face most is God's just anger towards us. Matthew, uh, Jesus says more in Matthew 10. He says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Listen to this. Good Christmas sermon, by the way. Do not think that I have come to bring peace unto earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. All right? So there's, there's a, a clear message. If, lest you think that God's anger, righteous anger against our sinfulness, our brokenness, is only an Old Testament concept, only a Hebrew scripture concept, Jesus dispels that right there. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Very powerful. Very powerful statement of it. And he says here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst 
who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, there's a contrast that's happening here. There's a contrast. Because of the how in the world, how in the world can we move from God's just anger as something that we're afraid of, something that we don't want any part of, something we don't want to even acknowledge or talk about? How can we move from that to hungering and thirsting for it? Jesus said a blessing comes through that. How can we move from God's just anger against our brokenness, against our sinfulness? How can we move from that to hungering and thirsting for it? And what we'll see is that because of the gospel, God's righteous indignation towards our sinfulness is now turned into something that we long for in such a fundamental way that it's like we're longing for food and water. Do you feel the contrast there? Let's look at it just a bit. In the gospel, Jesus takes our sin and turns it from something that we deny. Takes our brokenness and turns it from something that we deny. And you understand that there's no way that we can act like we're thirsty and hungry for God's righteous anger towards us. There's no way that we can long for that. There was one pastor that I knew who always said, never ask God for what you deserve. Because he'll give it to you. And you don't know what you deserve. You don't have no idea what your brokenness deserves from a holy and righteous God. Never ask him for what you deserve. And so there's something that happens in the gospel that turns our sin from something we deny into something that we long for to be dealt with in Jesus. And in Jesus, God now deals with us through discipline, no longer through wrath. Think about that for a second. Through discipline, no longer through wrath. We've, we've talked about this, parents and their children. One of the things that you hear parents say to children commonly, or children talk about their parents doing commonly, or maybe you've had this experience, is that, oh, I've been punished, or I'm going to punish you, right? And one of the emphasis in, in parenting out of the gospel is that you don't bring punishment to your children. Why? Because there is one who received punishment on your behalf. So you can't teach them punishment for brokenness. You have to teach them fulfillment of punishment for brokenness. And what does punishment become then? It doesn't become wrath-based. It becomes discipline-based, right? Your correction and training of your children becomes discipline. So it's not like going to a courtroom or being in a jail cell. It's not punishment. It's like going to the gym where you're training up people, you're training up your young ones, you're training up yourself in discipline, the discipline of godliness and righteousness, Do you see the difference? There's a fundamental difference. So there's something that happens in the gospel that turns our sin into being something that we deny into into something that we long for to be dealt with. Long for to be dealt with. Uh, it's, It's the difference between going to God for what he brings to you and going to God for who he is in and of himself. If you just go to God for what he brings to you, then you're upset when you're prevented from having those things. You might be angry at God from being prevented from having what you want. But if you're going to God for who he is in and of himself, then whether or not you get the things that you also want, you have the thing that most identifies you, most defines you, most uh, makes you who you are. And the things that you might want or desire are not necessarily the things you need. You have the thing you need in fullness. You have him, himself. He's given you him, himself. 
We need God's renovation because in it, his anger towards our sinfulness is reversed. God's love for his son is given to us because his just anger for us was given to his son. One of the fundamental aspects of getting well when you're sick is to admit that you're sick. One of the fundamental aspects of getting well is to admit that you're sick. Your sickness turns from something you deny into something that you long for to be dealt with in your life. If you don't admit that you're sick, you're never going to long to be well as you ought. And this happens in lots of areas of our life, all the areas of our lives. For example, if you don't admit that your cholesterol is high, you won't long to be well more than you're longing to have that steak and potatoes smothered and buttered. Right? You won't long to be well as, 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 as much as you long for that if you're denying that your cholesterol is high. If you don't admit that you can't come home at night and not have some drinks, you'll never long for what it's like to overcome life's adversity without the deadening effect of depressants. If you don't admit you have a problem with establishing your own kingdom through what you spend your money on, you'll never long for the freedom that comes with giving away your resources for the benefit of demonstrating the freedom of God's kingdom to others. The gospel turns something we once feared into something we now long for being removed from our lives for the sake of our relationship with God the Father that Jesus brings us in the freedom of the fellowship of his spirit. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Friends, what do you wake up longing for? In the morning when you open your eyes and the alarm goes off and you've hit the snooze for the last time and you lift your head off your pillow and you finally get out of bed, what are you longing for? Okay, a cup of coffee, but beyond that, what's driving you in your day? What drives you in the decisions you make? What, when it is threatened in your life, unsettles you or disquiets you? What, when it's threatened, does that? Jesus says that renovation of your brokenness, turning away from God's just anger from you, is a fundamental, it's as fundamental as food and drink to your survival. I was watching Guy Brills, the the survival guy who goes out and is dropped off in a place, and he said uh, on an episode that I watched, you know, I am Netflixing it, I think, uh, he said you can live three minutes without air, three days without water, and three weeks without food. And so he proceeded to cut off the tail of a scorpion and eat the scorpion. And he couldn't quite do that because he had to chomp off the claws first, the pinchers first, and eat them because he was pinching his leg and he couldn't, couldn't get it in there. So he has to eat. He has to drink. And he does all manner of crazy things just to survive because we need that and we can't live without those things. What... Has the renovation of your brokenness, turning away God's just anger from you through the gospel, become just as fundamental as food and air and drink to you? Is that something that you wake up with? Is that the thing that you're longing for? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they, for, for they shall be satisfied. Uh, wherever you have a longing in your life, you need this longing. It's the longing that reorders all the other longings. It's the longing that reorders it. Blessing comes through hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Ask others, those you trust, those who aren't afraid to tell you when you're wrong and and you trust to tell you when you're wrong, do you have those people in your life, first of all? Do you have people who, who you can entrust to tell you, no, I don't think so. I don't think you're right here. So that's step one. But find those people 
and then ask them what kind of longing they perceive in your life. What kind of longing do they perceive you pursuing day in and day out? What drives you? What motivates you? What would undo you if it was taken away or threatened? What are the longings? And then ask them to pray along with you for God to reorder all of your longings in light of the true longing, a hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Okay. So not only God's renovation of brokenness in us, but also God's renovation of brokenness in the world, God doesn't just bring justice and begin to set everything right in us personally. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. The story of Scripture tells us that it's more than that. He aims at doing so in all creation. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's a powerful concept, for they shall be satisfied. Look, it's throughout Scripture. Isaiah 66 and Revelation 21 sort of pair up together the two great places to explore. Isaiah 66, verse 22 says, for The Lord says, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. And then in Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, when Paul, the apostles, one of uh, the apostles after Jesus uh, was raised from the dead and ascended, when Paul explains how God's kingdom reverses the effects of the fall and describes how comprehensive God's renovation plan is, the apostle reaches for the largest possible category. The largest possible category. Recreation. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Or Galatians 6, he writes this. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. What counts? New creation. And the Bible's meta-narrative plainly deals with this on a large scale, not just individual level. Not just individual level. We looked at that in Isaiah 66 and Revelation 21. Renovation in God involves not less than, but more than justification. We're going to take time because there are some terms here that are peculiar to our faith, peculiar to what we believe, and I'll explain each one of them as we go. But what I want to say first is that the renovation that God brings involves not less than, but more than justification. Justification is where God declares you just. He declares you just, despite your sin. Why? Because Jesus paid the penalty for your sin, and so therefore you get his record applied to you. You are just, okay? Justified. It includes effective calling. God is effective. When he calls you, you are summoned. You come to him. His calling on your life is effective. He's powerful. He's mighty to save, right? He's a command. When he gives you a command, you obey. Regeneration. You're brought from death to life. The image is not that you're struggling, drowning, reaching for a hand to save you. You're dead on the bottom of the ocean floor. You need a new nature in order to even be able to reach. That's part of it that flows out of it. Not only regeneration, sanctification. Sanctification is the process of growth that happens gradually. Over time, if justified, if you're justified once and for all, declarative righteousness, sanctification is the process by which you actually grow in faith. Remember we began by saying, what do you long for? What does a Christian ought to long for in faith? And part of it is to be more like him, the one who gave everything for you. And that process by which it happens, sanctification, happens progressively. It happens along the way, right? 
Adoption. That you are outside of God's kingdom. You are outside of God's family. He brings you in through no merit of your own. By the grace that he shows you, he brings you in and gives you the rights of a family member, the rights of a son, which is radical. Because in, in those days, only the sons had rights. And so whether you're man, whether you're woman, no matter where you're from, what your background is, he gives you the full rights of a son. You have, you're an heir to the kingdom through the gospel. Perseverance. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. I was talking with Ezra recently, and he said he was worried by a fear, something that made him afraid. And I said, well, let's be precise. These kinds of worries are actually intelligent. They're kind of intelligent attacks, the way that they come. What exactly are you afraid of? And we parsed it down, we worked with it, and he finally said, you know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid of that God's love will be taken from me. And so we opened up to Romans, where it says, Nothing in heaven and earth or all creation, height, depth, width, anything in all creation can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus. And he melted. It's like, yes, I needed that truth. Perseverance, glorification, the resurrection of the body and a life everlasting. We're going to confess our faith before we take the Lord's Supper. And that's what it's talking about here. So renovation involves not less than but more than justification. It includes effective calling, regeneration, sanctification, adoption, perseverance, glorification, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Our Reformed theological heritage, which is where Liberty Fairmount is situated, has often understood union with Christ as the center of our renovation the center of what saves us, our union with Christ, and that all the blessings of salvation flow from that. And an emphasis on the full reach of salvation is important and welcome as we grow in our love for God and for one another and for the city, what God calls us to. So God's renovation for brokenness is not just needed in us, but on a cosmic scale in all of creation, in all of creation, in our neighborhoods. So for example, let me... uh, I heard someone put it this way once. I said, look, okay, I get what you're saying, but here's the thing. If I total my car, why don't I just wait for the new one? Why would I put any effort into hammering out the bumpers and uh, buffing it up and, and taking care and sort of retooling everything, renovating the whole thing on a large scale? You know, why not just wait for the wholly created new car? Why bother? all this renovation of what was totaled, when it will be done later, at a later date? Why bother? Have you asked that question yourself? Look, what I want to do is I just want to come at you with the the idea of longing that Jesus brings out here. Hunger and thirsting for righteousness. Think about that for a second. Not only a personal scale, but a, a cosmic scale. First, There's continuity between what we do right now, right here, every day, day in and day out. There's continuity between that and everything being made right and God's justice coming. There's continuity. Why do we know that? Because when you see Jesus risen from the dead, he shows Thomas his nail marks. He shows him the nail marks in his hands. He shows him his, his, uh, where the spear stabbed him in his side. And yet it's his resurrected body. This is new creation. He's the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. Right? He's the firstborn. And yet he has the nail marks. So there's some continuity. That's one aspect. Another is that if we aren't to show that God's kingdom has come, 
and work on hammering out the dents and renovating what was totaled, then why does Jesus ask us to be light in what is dark? Or salt in what is tasteless? Why does he ask us to do that? And why does the Apostle Paul remind us that when we learn Christ, we learn, and he writes in Ephesians, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And then what does he do? He moves right to hammering out the dents and begin renovation of what is totaled. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. He goes on to say, let no thief no longer, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Anyone in need. Anyone in need. Renovation. Hammering out the dents. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Renovation. Hammering out the dents. God just doesn't bring justice and begin to set everything right in us personally, but he aims at doing so in all of creation. What does this mean for us? Well, God requires that you get busy hammering out the dents and renovating what is totaled. Wherever you see the opportunity to hammer out a dent or the opportunity to begin renovation of what is totaled, get busy. Show the kingdom. Get involved. Why? Because blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Begin to examine how you spend your time. There are a lot of fundamental things that make up your life day to day. A lot of fundamental things. Is hungering and thirsting for the opportunity to hammer out the dents and renovate what is totaled around you just as fundamental to you as eating and drinking? Is it just as fundamental to you? Okay. So God's renovation of brokenness in us, in the world, but also... I'm sorry about the air, by the way. Uh, it is not... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off my shirt. <laughs> now you'll know. Um, I'm a sweaty man. You don't want to see what this shirt is going to continue to look like if we... There we go. I'll cover the hips at least, right? Basically, black is very slimming. Do you know that? All right. Let's continue. Should we open the, the door? Or are you feeling the air back there? Okay. All right. Here we are. It's working just a little bit. There's some air pumping in. We're, we'll work on fixing it again. We had this problem before. Bear with us. God's renovation is needed, friends. <laughs> You're feeling it right now. All right. Um, so God's renovation of brokenness in us in the world, but also God's renovation of brokenness through Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? Satisfied. And our Lord Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Look, Revelation 21 says this. And I want you to spend some time praying over this passage from Revelation 21 as a means to think about righteousness and work it into your heart and work it into your life. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Because the kingdom of God has entered into the world in Jesus, Jesus said that the kingdom is here. Right? The kingdom is here. Because the kingdom has entered into the world, we must say, we must say, that the world is full of redemptive power of God. For the cross of Christ was placed in this world, and Christ arose here, and Christ is the all-embracing sense of hope of the world, namely in the sense that he will also renew creation and cause life to break forth from death. Those are the words of a famous pastor, teacher, theologian named Herman Ritterboss, who talks about how central how central Christ is. Christ is God's renovation of brokenness. He is the hungering and thirsting for righteousness incarnate. He is the one who is personally in right standing with God and the one who is bringing healing to those who were sick and encouragement to those who were despairing and sight to the blind and food to the hungry. He was the embodiment of those things that we talked about. God's renovation of brokenness happens through Jesus. The reason you don't show the renovating effects of Jesus' work in the gospel is because you forget that this is true. You forget that this is true. If like Paul says, you're looking at, your, it's like Paul says, you look at a mirror and you walk away and you forget what you look like. You forget what you look like when you walk away. Or it's like having untold billions of dollars in a bank account that you have free access to, and yet you're living with such poverty because you forget that it's there and you don't draw upon it. You don't use what you have. You forget what's true of you. You forget what's been made true of you. And you live opposite of that. The only one... God requires from you that you see the one who was dented and totaled on your behalf so that in him you could be made new. God requires that you see that. And this is required in all of your life. It's comprehensive. It's not just your theology. Your theology ignites and spills over out from your mind into your heart and into your life in very profound ways where you're working out the hammers, you're hammering out the dents, and you're working renovation in the broken areas that you see. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let Jesus be the one who perfectly hungered and thirsted for righteousness for you. Don't make this a checklist. There's no way that you can hunger and thirst by trying hard. 
what you've got to realize to hunger and thirst is your utter need. Your utter need for righteousness. This kind of righteousness. Personal righteousness, where your relationship with God is healed. Cosmic righteousness, where the relationship of all creation is transformed. Hunger and thirst for that righteousness. Blessing is found there in the work that Jesus has done on your behalf. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together in your word. We ask that you would uh, bless us as we continue to worship. Bless, the, bless our understanding that we might know that, um, that we are free. We have liberty in your gospel to relate to our sin and brokenness of ourselves and, and of the world around us in a new way because of what you went through on our behalf. You stood in our place. You turned away God's wrath. And you extend to us all the blessings that are due to you. We praise you. We give you thanks. And we continue to worship in your name.